said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who was a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who was ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favour in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servants. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man, who prepared it quickly. He took the curds, and the milk, and the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, 
God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. We talk a lot about fulfillment. Uh, the word is kind of a newish one. It's crept in uh, to our normal language, being fulfilled, feeling fulfilled, self-fulfillment. Uh, but it's not describing something new. It's, it's kind of universal, goes back surely to the beginning. The desire each individual has to find meaning in their life, sense of destiny, purpose, and to, to be satisfied with having achieved something for their life amounting to something. Um, we actually, I think, find it easy to be steered off this increasingly because everything is so instantly, immediately available. I think technology has a big part to play in how we've kind of found meaning and fulfillment, a, a distant prospect, because I can, wherever I am, at whatever point in the day, it seems, immediately uh, be exposed just by plugging in and, and tapping on a screen. Uh, you can be exposed to world-class entertainment. Uh, at any time, I can, I can be exposed to, to pornography, to sex that's just like so extraordinarily available in, in, a, in a way that previous generations would have found bewildering, if not horrifying, the idea that, that sexual gratification is available, it seems just a, a click, when actually that, that whole idea was kind of, well, it belonged to a process that would take months, years of you know, self-discipline, self-denial, um, courtship, building a relationship, building trust. We've kind of turned so many things on their head greatly through our technology and other things as well, I guess, to the point where being gratified to some extent seems immediately available. And I think it means that we're kind of less and less sure of the idea of being fulfilled because that, that's sort of, well, do I, what do I really need to be fulfilled when everything seems so available? But we, if we're honest, we know deep down a longing for something more than just instant gratification. We know that life must mean something. There's something greater. There's something, there's something more wonderful to be desired and pursued with our lives. When we read stories like Abram and Sarah's, we, we are discovering a couple who, who pursue fulfillment as it's found in the only person who's able to give it. This, this story shows us the God who is Father, Son and Spirit drawing people into the only possible hope of real fulfillment. The reason why is because he's the only one who knows how to fulfill us, how we get fulfilled, because he made us. He, he knows our longings. He put them there. He put those desires in you and he uniquely knows how they are fulfilled. And, and it's, it's been their story throughout their life as, they've, as, we've, as we've been watching them in recent weeks, we've been reading about them as a church, that, that God has introduced himself, interrupted him, their lives with himself, drawn them into a path of, of finding him and thereby finding fulfilment. But the, the interesting thing about this part of the story is that they find this despite some serious challenges, serious problems. 
significantly of their own making. <laughs> a lot of the problems that they hit, they're, they're problems that they've created. But it's, it's helpful, encouraging, inspiring, reassuring for us today to look at how God's people can find fulfillment despite serious problems, serious challenges. I want to look at three serious problems that we see them facing in this story today. First of all, the problem of delay. They reach fulfillment in God despite delay. They reach fulfillment in God also despite appearances. We'll talk about that in a moment. And also finally, they, they, they find fulfillment in God dis, despite the weaknesses of their own faith. And we'll talk about all three of those. Let's start with delay. The, the Bible tells this story in different ways quite often, that God makes a promise to an individual or to a group which it takes a while to be fulfilled. It takes a long season of waiting. A delay is involved. Now, we, we need to learn this, and I think probably we need to especially be careful of not learning it. Again, maybe it's a technological uh, f- factor, but we, I think, have a, an, a, a different perspective on the passing of time. When you and I think about, you know, even just ask the question, what's the time? What's the, what's the thing we look to to tell us the time? We look at digits on a screen normally. That's the normal way we discover the time. Ask someone in a, in a, in a different time, a different world, what's the time? They'd look at a glass filling up with sand. Something literally filling up. The idea of the passing of time being the filling up of something. Something is being filled. Something is being completed. In this story we, we just read, we heard the word at the appointed time. Did you catch that? A couple of times. At the appointed time, Sarah will give birth. In other words, God is purposeful, intentional. He's planning the seasons and the times. He's scheduling deliberately with skill, with wisdom. We tend to uh, approach this issue imagining that things are far more random than that. Just, it's just this sort of arbitrary stuff happening. And maybe there's a God that's kind of involved trying to get his oar in, trying to, trying to influence things as he can here and there. But no, no, no. The Bible presents the, the world as under the clear, sovereign authority of God, the, the wise timer, the sequencer of all things. And, and the passing of time is, yes, several times in the Bible, talked about in terms of fulfillment, things being filled, fulfilled, when, when the times have reached their fulfillment. That's a phrase that's in the Bible in a few places. We've got to see it like that. What is, what is being achieved? What is God filling up during the times when we feel nothing's happening? When we're waiting, we need to ask the question, what is God achieving? Is, he achie- is this achieving anything? I tell you, this book assures us that he's always looking to achieve, achieve through even the delays that can seem so absurd and futile, but they're not futile in the mind of God. And learning what it is he's doing will help us. Sometimes it means we need to catch up with his program. Sometimes it means we need to allow the work that he's trying to achieve over time to be achieved. We need to yield to it. We need to accept the things that he's said and the things that he's done. That it, it can be actually the, 
the reason that God is taking so long about something is that we are the problem. We are causing the delay. We're causing it by our resistance to his will. And he's waiting for us to die to something. I think that's pretty much the case here. It strikes me that when God says to Abram, at the end of chapter 17 there, that, that, that Isaac is going to be born, that there will be a child born to Sarah, his wife. Abram's response is a kind of mixture of worship. He falls on his face, but he also laughs. He's, he's kind of incredulous. And he even comes out with his, could it be Ishmael? He mentions the Ishmael issue again. Now, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you know what that's about. Abram's servant girl, uh, Abram and Sarah, have cooked up this idea. Let's have a child with the servant girl, Hagar. She has Abram's baby, but that is not God's plan for them. And, and so <laughs> this, is, this is them trying to fix God's problem. Them trying to say, well, God, God's made a promise that he clearly can't keep. It was foolish of him to make the promise in the first place. Let's solve the problem for him. Let's, let's, let's have the baby the wrong way and it will be the right thing because, you know, we need to help God out. When we find ourselves falling into that kind of thinking, when we try and solve God's problems, we try and lend God our expertise and work our, our wonderful human solutions to, to his, his troubles, we're, we're steering into a very dangerous territory. That's, that's, that's what we see in this part of the story. And Abram is still clinging, you notice? He, he's still got these, these kind of faint but distracting hopes that are tied up with Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. For Abram, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's kind of a, a death that's got to come to pass. He's got to yield to the realities that, that God wanted to do it God's way. And this can be a, a difficulty for us. We have to face the fact it says in Romans chapter 4, Abram faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He, he finally got there, it seems. That's what's happening in this story. He's finally hitting the point where I am not the solution. And my attempts bringing up Ishmael, that's not the solution. God wants to show that he alone will fulfill his promise. He alone will do this. He doesn't need my fixing. I've had to learn that. I've had to learn that in different ways. I've, I've spent long chunks of my life trying to prove God wrong, really. I've tried to, to fix things in my plan. I've, I've resisted the thing that God is doing because it doesn't really fit with my agenda. And sometimes you know, I think of times when I've spent hours and hours and hours carefully, diligently putting together and presenting careful papers that I've written to say how I think something should happen, how I think something should work out. This is, this is my take on it all. And I think I'm, you know, I'm just kind of speaking for God in this situation. And I submit my, my paper carefully, present it. This is how I think we should go forward. This is how I think we should, we should coordinate things. And uh, I've kind of had to wake up sometimes slowly, sometimes painfully, sometimes almost humiliatingly to the realisation that no one cares about my idea. And it seems that God doesn't either. He's not, he's not, really tied up with my notion, my Ishmael, my idea of how I think this should all work out. And I've had to just allow things to die. And, and in the end, though that's been painful, it's been so releasing. Because who wants to be harnessed to an Ishmael? 
Who wants to spend their life yoked to something that was just our idea, that God never endorsed? It was not God. We might have claimed it was. We might have said, well, the Lord said, this is the Lord, the Lord spoke. But if we stop and honestly ask the question, we might realise, yeah, I don't know if it was the Lord speaking. It was just me speaking with a kind of Hollywood voice. You know, It was me trying to speak for the Lord. And in the end, having to realise, no, I, I've got to trust him. He's made me promises, but I can't fix that. I can't make it happen. I've got to keep trusting he will fulfil it. And for some of us in this season, perhaps, even during COVID, I suppose, a lot of the work that's going on, a lot of the, the painful work for some of us, the, the, the painful, trying, delayed work, is, is God wanting us, some of us, to die to things that we're used to, that we were sure we were right about, and accept that we stop. We don't die to trusting God. We trust him as much as ever. We trust him more. I'm not telling you to stop trusting him. I'm not telling you to give up on the promises of God. I'm telling you to give up on trying to make them happen yourself. Let, let, him, let him be God. Let him be sovereign in situations where you need to see, I, I can't make this happen in my strength. I've got to yield to his timing as he fills time up, as he fulfills his purposes. I think the second thing, I want to draw out from you the second problem, if you like, the first problem being the problem of delay. The second problem is the problem of appearance. I want to talk about Sarah in this situation, especially Sarah Abram's wife, who up until this point has had the appearance, certainly, of being kind of, uh, she's kind of background. Abram is the one that God's been speaking to again and again, directly. Abram's been the one God's made the promises to directly. Now, Sarah's been caught up with it, but kind of as a background figure, it would seem. That's the appearance. You could even imagine herself drinking that in a bit, just this notion of herself as kind of left in obscurity, just kind of this grey figure in the background. And, and yet, what I see in this story is God insisting that she's very much in the foreground. The whole Hagar story of, of Abram sleeping with his maidservant is, is kind of an example of how Sarah was kind of thrown aside, even by herself. She thought, well, sleep with Hagar then. She can have the baby. It's, it's about you, Abram, isn't it? It's about you having a baby. Not, not really accepting that, that actually, no, the purpose of God was, was tied up with her. He was watching her. He was concerned for her. His plans for her are great indeed. And though she might have seen herself as kind of a spare part in this narrative, God doesn't. And God, in fact, wants her to have the dignity of being addressed and taken into the story fully. He gives her a new name. Although it's interesting to me, I find it a bit peculiar. It's kind of the same name. <laughs> she starts off as Sarai and then she becomes Sarah. It's like, you know, drum roll, her name shall be... It's basically, I mean, you know, there's nothing behind it as far as I know. You know, I've spent time looking at the scholarship. No one seems to know the difference. Sarah, Sarah, it's basically the same thing. Um, so I can imagine, you know, I wonder how they felt. You know, the Lord, her name will be drumroll, and then the same name. Maybe it was just the tone of voice. I don't know. But the point is, I think the best, the best handle I can get on this is it's basically God saying, her name means princess. And it's definitely God saying this you sure are a princess. I think that's the, the point. It's like it's, 
I really, I really want you to know it, Sarah. Your name is the right. You are a princess before me. The dignity of it, it may have surprised her and shocked her. She's not understood until this point. I wasn't just in the background to God. I was in the foreground all along. He was watching me. And even the way it says at the beginning of chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah. As he promised, the Lord visited her. And that word, by the way, visited, it's, kind of, it's used elsewhere in the context of the Lord watched, watching over his people in Egypt, in, in the book of Exodus. And in other parts of Scripture, it's used in parallel with the idea of God remembering. Because God knows us, right? He knows, he knows what we feel like. He knows what we need, what we long for and yearn for. One of the things we yearn for is to just know that we're on his mind. Don't you want that sometimes? Don't you find it painful and, and, and don't you struggle when you find yourself under the cloud of sensing that you're not noticed by him? You're just out of his, his kind of peripheral vision. You're kind of off the radar. and not, You're not important. There's Abraham, the mighty man of faith, and there's you somewhere behind. We see it like that, but we don't see accurately because the Lord watches over those who are often humble, broken-hearted people on the edge, it would seem. Well, he, he's, he sees them as the apple of his eye. And to know, like it says in Isaiah chapter 40, why do you complain, O Israel? My, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is is disregarded by my God. That's, that's how we often complain inwardly, I'm sure. I'm sure you know something of that. Yeah, God doesn't notice me. He doesn't know about me. He doesn't understand. But we are so wrong. God knows that very sentiment and he, he speaks words of affirmation to contradict it. He wants us to know he's, he's the God of Israel who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over us. Attentively, attentively, attentively. I think I got it right in the end. Okay, third thing. We see, we see uh, the, the issue of delay or we see the issue of obscurity when things don't appear the way God sees them. But finally, we see weakness. We see, again, in Sarah's case, a weakness that perhaps would have made her ashamed. It certainly made her frightened. She, she laughs when she's made the promise at the beginning of chapter 18 that uh, the next year she'll have a child. And it is, it is laughable, right? To someone who's been seeing herself in the background, who's not really caught what her husband had caught years before, not been aware of God in the same way that Abraham had been. It's, it's laughable. It's, she laughs in different ways in this. It, it's kind of funny. I find it kind of funny and kind of creepy in reality. If, you know, if someone... If someone in your neighbourhood, a 90-year-old lady, gives birth, I wouldn't laugh. I would be scared. <laughs> I would find that really freaky. Um, but anyway, she, she is understandably a little thrown, and, but, and yet she's, a, she's frightened because she knows that what she's actually done is effectively shown some incredulity towards God. She realises this is a visitation of God, this angelic person who's spoken. And he, he corrects her. He says, why did you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. She's frightened. She's trying to cover her tracks. When you get seen for your unbelief, when you're 
cornered and you're aware, I, didn't, I wasn't taking, this is God, and I wasn't taking him seriously, it can shake you up. Reminds me of a friend of mine, and we going back years and years, decades, who uh, here in Brighton was, was watching some street theatre. People were doing a passion play and, and they were putting their Jesus actor on the cross. And so this guy's kind of being pinned up, as it were, on this fake cross in the middle of the town centre. And he saw this happening and he starts to applaud and shout and laugh because he hated Christianity, hated Jesus. This is a friend of mine from years ago. And he saw this and he just starts mocking and laughing. And uh, while the, the actors, are fin- when they finish their little play, their production, they're putting their stuff away in their bags and getting stuff in their vans to drive off. My friend's just hanging around with some friends after. And this one of these actors turns to him and just looks at him and says, you still don't believe, do you? You still don't believe. And, and this is just, it's just an innocent, apparently, kind of slightly challenging comment but just one comment and it pinned my friend to he just got him deep down he just went this guy that was mocking laughing harshly antagonistic to christians and their jesus just one little comment you still don't believe and he was he was pinned and it led it's one of the things that led to his conversion months later he became a christian he's now a preacher we can suddenly be caught short realizing I wasn't taking this seriously, but this is real. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've, you've known that in your own life. You're just suddenly aware, this is real. Maybe that's why you're watching this. Maybe, maybe you're just starting to investigate Christianity. And you're just looking at videos like this as you're learning the, the possibility that God might be real. He might really have a son, Jesus, who might really have died and been raised from the dead and this book might really be about him and how you can know him and be forgiven. This is real. And it can be a mixture of trembling and joy that we start to feel. We start thinking, oh my goodness. And Sarah, I think, is having that moment. And it, it can be horribly discomforting because one of, the, one of the, the realities we might face is, have I blown it? I mean, she, she's not exactly a hero of faith in this, but she's laughing at the very speaker. She's laughing at God in disbelief. Is that, is that her story there? Is she done? She, her, her faith was weak, so she's done, right? That must be it for Sarah. Well, the, the good news is, is, as we read to the end of the story, God's willing to work with people whose faith is weak. In fact, God, is, God seems to specialise in it. God loves to work with people whose faith is weak, but still real. It's weak, but it's there. She's actually, in the end, she's, she's honoured for her faith. You read at the beginning of chapter 21, the Lord visited her, she did have a child. She, she rejoiced, she laughs, she, she worships. She worships in her laughter. Names the son, laughter, Isaac, or giggles. She might have, I imagine that's the sort of name, that's the sort of nickname he must have had. She's so delighted. Such a happy ending, this story. Such a joy to see. And then you get places like in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, where it actually describes her, the very person who laughs 
at the beginning of chapter 18, it says this about her. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Isn't that fantastic? The Bible is so honest about our shortcomings and weaknesses and weak, weak faith. And yet it commends us. God's word written over Sarah. She gets into Hebrews 11. That's the list of the heroes of faith. Sarah's one of them. Why, why do I find that encouraging? I hope you do too. The reason I find it encouraging is because I'm, I'm more aware of being like Sarah than I am of being like Abraham. I don't, I don't relate to Abraham, the great mighty man of faith that much. Some of you, maybe you've, you've grown up around people with more faith than you. You spend time with people with great faith. You rub shoulders with men and women of faith and it can make you even feel a bit like Sarah might have felt. Well, I can't keep up with Abraham. <laughs> He's the man of faith. And I love the fact that God intentionally draws faith out of her. He intentionally helps her to see, no, you, you've got your own trust in me as well. You've got your own relationship with me as well, Sarah. It's not just your husband. I want you to know me too. I want you to learn to trust me too. I've got great adventures for you in faith. And actually, in the end, that's kind of our whole story because all of us, including Abraham, are in the end, We've got our moments of weaknesses at least. Abraham, we know if we know his story, yeah, he wasn't always mighty in faith. He has his, his weak moments. We all of us, we lean on our husband, right? Sarah's leaning on her husband's faith for much of the story. I find myself leaning on Jesus, <laughs> the bridegroom. I'm married to Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus, so are you. We lean on his faith. We lean on his faithfulness. We lean on his stable constancy his ability always to trust implicitly constantly in the words of his father and I find myself wavering I think of this last year I think of 2020 21 I'm sure many of us in many churches have, have had to stop and think have we done everything right did we handle this crisis right did we get it all right often questioning ourselves, have we been overcautious? Should we have done this? Should we have done that? It's very easy if you go down that route to do it too much and start wondering, what, have, I, have I just, have I failed? Have we failed as a church? Have we, have, we, have we been faithful? Have we been faithful? No, I hope we have been faithful. But you know, in the end, that can't be where I place my confidence. I can't, I can't rest. I can't sleep at night if it's all about whether I and this church have been faithful enough. I'm so glad I get to put my head on someone else's chest. I get to say, Jesus, you're faithful. You'll carry us through. You carried Sarah through in her weakness. Yeah, she was weak. She laughed. She thought it was silly. She mocked the promises of God. And yet God says, woman of faith. Isn't that amazing? God is so kind. God, God, God endorses us with brand new names. God lifts us up, gives us dignity. God gives meaning to the long seasons of delay. He's purposing, he's planning, and he comes in and does things that no one could have done. And he says at the end of it, you're a hero of faith, well done. <laughs> you think, I don't think I did anything. But he still insists on, on dignifying us with identity. I love his kindness and his goodness to us. And I want us to celebrate that by worshipping. So let's do that now. The band are going to lead us. Let's draw near to him in worship today.